it's good to know about what the brand is doing for the consumer but equally think in terms of what is the brand doing to the business what's the value add to the business not just to the consumer Hi, I'm Darren Woolley, founder and CEO of Trinity P3 Marketing Management Consultancy, and welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media, and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Now, if you listen to the industry conversation, strategy plays an important part in marketing. Most marketing organisations will either be developing their marketing strategy, reviewing their strategy, updating their strategy, or finessing their strategy. So if strategy is so essential, why is there so much talk of the role of tactics over strategy? Now, my guest today is a return visitor who first joined us on Managing Marketing back in March 2017. But today he's joining me to discuss the role of strategy in marketing and why strategy is more important for marketers than ever before. Please welcome to Managing Marketing yet again, Mahesh Njeti, thinker at Oracle World, co-founder at Brand Ready, and Managing Director of SAI Marketing Council. Welcome, Mahesh. Thanks, Darren. Nice to be back. <laughs> well, six years is a long time. I, know. I think we'll have to make it uh, a bit more regular than that because I always enjoy these conversations. I find uh, your view on marketing is uh, clear and refreshing, which is in short supply sometimes <laughs> if you get caught up in the listening to the trade media and the trade conversations. Yeah, I know what you're t- talking about. Yeah. Well, look, and the reason is, and, and, and where I'd love to start this conversation is trying to get a, a, an easy uh, definition of strategy. And the reason I say that is I often find people will do things like confuse objectives with strategy. You know, you'll ask someone what their strategy is and they'll say to be market leader. And I go, no, no, that's the objective. How are you going to become? Do you yeah. have a, a sort of shorthand or easy way of helping uh marketers and and even the students you work with uh, get a sense of strategy? That's a really tough question, Darren, because there is no easy or simple definition of what strategy is. And to be honest, my own view of strategy has changed over the years. Um, When I first joined business school, that was at the ripe old age of 20, back in 1973, I was told strategy is, you know, uh, the pathway where you are and how to get to where you want to be. And that was a very simple definition of strategy. Then over the years, I became more uh, sort of aligned with Henry Mintzberg's view of emergent strategy, where you actually don't have a deliberate strategy, but your strategy actually evolves over time. And then I got exposed to Richard Rumelt. Are you familiar with Richard Rumelt? Yeah. And he's called the strategist strategist uh, for, for, for a reason. And I sort of looked at how strategy is more about addressing a key challenge. So, uh, and, and then in between, we had uh, scenario planning becoming more and more popular. People said it's not about going from point A to point B. Your point B could be B1, B2, B3, or B4. And you've got to sort of envision these alternate scenarios 
and then have strategies to sort of you know uh, address each of those. So strategy is not such a simple uh, concept to define, and which is why I think people struggle with it. It's tactics are so much easier because they're more tangible. This is this is quite intangible. So today, if you ask me what is strategy, I would say it's about understanding and appreciating the challenges and opportunities that you are faced with and try and work out a way of overcoming these, which is leveraging the opportunities and uh, combating the threats. So that would be a very simple definition of strategy. Yeah. Well, and that's fairly simple. I mean, it's fairly clear as well, which is what I've come to expect from you, Mahesh, is always being able to... uh, find a way of distilling the complex down into some usable form. And, and like you, I used to, and I still would say to people, you know, it's solving uh, complex problems or challenges, yeah. Yeah. Um, taking into consideration all aspects that work with you or against you in That's coming right. up with the solution. Exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's interesting because, you know, obviously uh, marketing and marketing strategy is a discussion that happens a lot in the industry. You know, and we've got people like um, Professor Byron Sharp and and, uh, Mark Ritson, you know, uh, often talking about the various strategies that are available in marketing. And yet there's also a conversation about how often tactics seem to get in the way of strategy, where people focus more on mm, doing mm. things rather than doing the right things. I think I think one of the first things I would do is probably not separate marketing strategy from the strategy for the business. And that's probably one of the things that marketers, one of the flaws in marketing, that we tend to be more focused on what the marketing strategy is rather than taking a step backwards and looking at the big big picture and saying, what is the strategy for the business? If we understand the strategy for the business, then I think marketers would be better able to devise what the marketing strategy is. And our extreme focus on marketing, and more so marketing as a discipline of life, which is uh, advertising or um, promotion or social media marketing, um, influencer marketing. So we tend to focus more on those tactics of marketing rather than look at the big picture of what what's the where is this what does this business need to do in order to be able to cope with those challenges or leverage those opportunities. And that's the first thing I would say. Uh, sorry, you you you're smiling there. I, I'm smiling a lot because one of my bugbears is the number of different types of strategists you find around the marketing space. You know, and and I say to people, I'm not sure anyone that has the word something strategist, like social media strategist, mm-hmm. is actually necessarily a strategist. And the reason I say that is I've never met a social media strategist who wasn't recommending social media. I've never met a media strategist who wasn't recommending a media solution, you know, in that I feel sometimes that strategists could easily be uh, exchanged in those particular cases for salesperson, social media salesperson, because invariably they're purely there to tell you how to implement a particular Mm -hmm. part of your overall strategy into a very specific channel or, or, or discipline, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the things why people, 
I think we tend to get obsessed with two things, two extremes, actually. One is the goal, and the goal tends to sort of almost take over our entire thinking. Uh, other, th other thing is the tactics, which is at the other end of the spectrum. And oftentimes, I see strategy and tactics being sort of looked at independently. Imagine any company, the C-suite goes away to a resort and has a three-day um, strategy planning session. And they come back to the office and say, look, this is our strategy. Now go and implement it. And that's a very disjointed way of looking at strategy. I tend to look at strategy and tactics as working in tandem. When you're developing a strategy, you need to be conscious of how is this actually going to play out in the field. If it's not going to be able to be implemented, then I don't think that strategy is worth the paper on which it is written or the, or the screen it is, it is sort of typed. On the flip side, people, marketers tend to get constantly, you know, sort of uh, pulled in different directions. Oh, we got to do this because our competitor is doing it. If we don't do that, oh, we are going to be decimated in the, in the marketplace. So we're being pulled in different directions. But every time you think of a new tactic, ask yourself this question first. Is this on strategy or not? And if it is not on strategy, have a good enough reason why you're doing that. If we did had that kind of discipline, I don't think we'll have a problem between strategy and tactics. And strategy needs to be developed from the top down as well as the bottom up. And oftentimes the problem is it's developed top, top down, which is why most strategies fail in implementation. Why is there such a high failure rate in execution? People say, oh, that was a fantastic strategy. But it didn't work because the strategy was created only top down and not simultaneously looked at from the bottom up. And the two meet, then I don't think you'll have any, that will be a good strategy. Well, two things that you said there, um, and the first was triggered my favourite um, quote about strategy, and that is good strategy doesn't just inform what you should do, it also informs what you shouldn't do. And exactly, I think that yeah. in a world where there are so many things that can be done, knowing what not to do is more important sometimes mm -hmm. than knowing what to do. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I, I give this example to my students. I said, look, when you're playing chess, if you are so focused on the number of pieces you need to keep on the board, you will get checkmated eventually. It's not the number of pieces that remain on the board. It's how good your strategy is in terms of checkmating your opponent. Otherwise, you will get sort of checkmated by your opponent's queen or whatever. So I, I think we tend to get so obsessed with, with those little you know, milestones or whatever, or we want to tick off all these boxes saying we've done this so many campaigns, awareness, so many social media likes, and, and you know things like that, rather than saying, okay, what, what are we achieving? Are we achieving what we set out to do? You know? yeah. And, and, and that's, that's where I think the challenge is. And in terms of that fixation with the, with the vision, your vision actually is also not cast in stone. It, it's, it's a moving target in a way. So by being so fixated on the end goal, I think we sometimes forget the realities of the challenges and the opportunities. As long as you are focused on how to address those challenges, how to sort of leverage those, those opportunities that are there in the marketplace, because they're continually changing and you've got new competition coming, your consumer tastes are changing. 
the environment is changing, the technology is changing. And I think if you are not really sort of monitoring those, then I think you are in danger of having a strategy that's that's dead. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and and that's one of the things is that good strategy though allows you to pivot, you know. Yeah. With it within the changing circumstances. Trinity P three. The, the second part of what you said a moment ago that, that really got my uh, brain buzzing was often people talk about strategy and planning. And when I've asked strategists, well, what's the difference between the two? They seem to infer, many of them infer that it's, um, that they're interchangeable, that they're almost synonyms of each other. But I actually have, have uh, evolved this thought that in some ways it goes to the point you're making, which is it's not enough to just have a strategy or a strategy document or a you know an articulated mm. solution, that you then need to plan how that's actually going to change the way you operate in the real world on a day-to-day basis. That you can come up with a solution, but the planning part is, okay, so what does that mean for sales? What does that mean for our call centre? What does that mean for our distribution? You know, that's the planning that takes the strategy into the various parts of the business. And sure, particularly sure. where the opportunity is, and, and another point that you made, to engage people within the organisation to actually think about, well, what does that strategy mean for me and how what is the best way of implementing that in the area that I operate? In fact, one of the things I would say probably this may be somewhat challenging for a lot of people. I think it's important to, in some way, separate the strategy formulation exercise from the business planning exercise. The reason why that is important is because when you get into the planning session, most people call it planning, it's more about budgeting. It's more about allocating resources to various activities. And I think you should get to that state after you have formulated a very robust strategy. When you try to combine the two, and this is what happens in a lot of companies, they try to combine the strategy session with the planning session. As a result, the strategy tends to be almost overridden by the tactics. Because And, and, and when you're talking about budgets, it's more about uh, who, can, who has a better bargaining power, like you know, when we say we don't have a budget for something, it means we don't have sufficient priority for it. If you have priority, you'll you'll find the budget. But then it becomes frustrating in terms of who gets which activity or which part of marketing gets a bigger budget and why. And not about the strategy. So it's probably not a bad idea to have the strategy session, develop the strategy in consultation with, with the team down the line, and then have the annual planning session separate from that, which makes a lot of sense because then it's not sort of, you know, uh, driven by tactics. It's more driven by your overarching strategy. Yeah, I agree. You know, it, it, the danger is that the if planning is part of strategy, it can start driving the strategy. You know, it's almost like what can we do? What yeah. can we afford? What are, exactly. What are the resources available to us so that you can't then actually think of a solution, think mm. of the strategy almost as, well, what is the possible solution? Now let's look at 
how what we need to then be able to implement it. You know, it's putting the the proverbial cart before the horse, isn't it? Yeah, and, and you're right. You've got to make sacrifices because it's a question of not only knowing what to do, but choosing what not to do. And you're right about that. because And a lot of people find it very difficult to say, we don't want to do that. Or we, we just submit a budget proposal, which is basically what we've done previous year, 10% here and there. There'll be a lot of new activities, perhaps, but no activity that's taken away. Like I've got to, uh, uh, now I tell my wife thing that if you want to buy something now for a home, you've got to tell me what you're going to get rid of. <laughs> so it's... A bit, in, 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 don't tell me you're asking you to write a business case for every purchase. No, no, no not a business case. <laughs> but the thing is, we, we don't have the discipline in yeah. companies to be able to say, no, we will not do this activity. Instead, we're going to do this. And you may have to sometimes experiment with a number of activities. Again, we are we feel shy of doing experiments. Let's try it out and see if it works. Yeah. If it works, then yes. It's yeah. so true. It's so true because one of the things that we do a lot of, Mahesh, uh, when we're working with uh, big organisations is help them build what we call a prioritisation decision matrix. You know, and and because uh, we, we'll find that there's um, so many requests coming from the business on marketing. You know, we need support for this. We need to do this. You know, we need to, the sales numbers are down. We need to do some more activity to drive mm, sales. And, mm. and so, you know, we find marketing teams absolutely inundated with all these requests and not being in a position to be able to push back. And one of the starting points is how strategically important is this to the business and what is the financial return become the sort of base uh, parameters of that mm. uh, decision-making matrix because there's something that can be strategically important like a new product launch into a category, competitive category, or financial because it's supporting a major you know, um, mm. a, a, a top-line growth. And if it's both, then it's essential. But then there are things that are neither strategically important or necessarily going to have a big financial return on investment that then can yeah. be considered secondary or, or, or even be dropped from the consideration. And something as simple as that seems to be missing because the marketers have got so used to just being at the end of the demand chain for for activity. True. Earlier you mentioned about uh, a lot of these roles and positions having the prefix of strategy or strategic whatever manager. I think we need to ask those people who are called strategists if they can prioritize. Mm. Tell me the top three activities you want, want to do. I, I think they'll struggle to get to those top three. And if they do that, then I think you should take away the title of you know, strategy from, I mean, the, the word strategy from the titles. Yeah. Yeah. What are the three things that I need to do? What uh, yeah. Mission critical, they used to call it. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So anyway, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a challenge. And I know and marketing as a function is, is under lot of stress. I mean, there's so many things that are happening apart from technology. There's the market itself is so dynamic. There's this, it's it's what we, we call it the VUCA world, you know, the volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. But more than uncertain, I think it's become an unknown world. We mm -hmm. don't know. It's, I, when it's uncertain, at least you know 
that there is a certain probability of something happening. But when it's unknown, you can't even put a probability on it. So we live in a very, very challenging world. So we need to be all the more strategic. In fact, people tell me, like, some of my students actually ask me, uh, what's the point in having a strategy? Because the world, the world is changing so fast. If you have a strategy, it's, it's sort of outdated by the time you even decide to implement it. And I keep telling them, saying, if you think of strategy as a goal and, and how to achieve it, you're probably right. But if you think of strategy as understanding, you know, really probing into what are those challenges, opportunities, and go about addressing those, you, your strategy will never be uh, out of place because you're constantly addressing those challenges and those opportunities. And that's the difference. I think sometimes we uh, get so obsessed with even, even say, climate control, um, climate change. We talk about these net zero. The objective is great. I think you need to have a vision. But we get so obsessed with reaching the target that we perhaps are not paying enough attention to the real, real problems that, that we face and the real opportunities that are presented to us. Well, see, I... Um... You're making me question my own uh, definition of that because I've always used it as you know the the metaphor of going on a journey. I recently did a uh, long weekend up in the national park at Barrington Tops in North oh. New South Wales. Now I think of uh, the objective is well, I wanted to go to Barrington Tops. You know that's the objective. The strategy is, well, how am I going to get there? You know, what route am I going to take? True. And I put that, you know, I plan that, but then I plan that out. But the thing, the good thing about a strategy is along the way, opportunities will present themselves, obstacles will present themselves. But having a strategy to planned out to the objective, the destination that I'm trying to get to, means that I can pivot or change direction, you know, I might have to take a detour or I may find out that there's some scenic drive that I hadn't allowed mm. for that I can take, but that I'm always judging that in reference to my strategy originally planned and the destination of where I'm trying to get to. Because otherwise, if you just do tactics alone, if you're just constantly zigging and zagging yeah, all over yeah. the place, you could find yourself completely off course. And, and that's what I'm saying. You you have that object, like Barrington Tops. What if suddenly there's a weather change there and you can't get to wherever you want to go? So you have an alternative. But the problem is not having that goal. I mean, the goal is okay as long as you know that that could potentially change because of what's happening in the environment. And we cannot rule that out because today we the, the world is so uncertain that we cannot rule out any changes. Keep that vision in perspective but focus on the challenges and the opportunities. That's the, that's the balance you need between perspective and focus. Trinity P3. Now, Mahesh, I, uh, I was recently reminded of uh, Sun Tzu's Art of War. And I don't <laughs> know, it, it was interesting for me because, you know, that's thousands of years old uh, and yet... Late uh, last century, I think it was late 80s, early 90s, mm. it became the hot book for every business person to read, yeah. The Art of War. But uh, there's this quote about strategy. Uh, Sun Tzu said, strategy without tactics is the slowest route to victory. Tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. Now, 
I just thought that was such a classic uh, way of encapsulating yeah. the challenge that so many people find themselves in that if you don't have a clearly articulated, well-embedded strategy within your organisation, you find yourself at the vagaries. To your students' point, you know, the world's always changing, but if you're always just responding to the marketplace, you're never, ever going to get ahead, are you? I mean, yeah, one of the things about strategy is that it gives you, should give you an advantage over the competition. Yeah, and I think sometimes we, we probably make these arguments um, and some of them are hyperbolic in the sense that we tend to exaggerate an argument to be able to make a point. The reality is that everything is fuzzy in this world. I don't think there's a definite way of, of doing the right way of doing something or the wrong way of doing something. It needs to be what uh, people like uh, Barry Johnson talk about. It's a both-and world. It's not an either-or. Now, if you only focus on the vision and not on you know the, what you need to do, uh, you you could go wrong. If you only focus on what you need to do and without any any uh, sort of perspective of where you want to be, you you could go wrong. There's a question of how do we actually balance the two, and that's why the discipline becomes so interesting, so challenging, and, and so difficult to 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 understand for a lot of people because people think oh strategy oh that's that's all pie in the sky uh, thing. It's not because you've got to, you're constantly sort of you know juggling these two things. You you cannot lose sight of your ultimate goal. At the same time, you can't lose sight of, of what's on the ground. So I I think it's the balance between the two makes it really good strategies. Do you think the rise of the amount of data now available to us in marketing and business? means that people find themselves responding to the changes in the data rather than using it as a way of measuring their progress towards a, a, of a particular strategy? Um, I have some very strong views about data and <laughs> it okay. might, again, be a little contrary. Um, I, think, I think we tend to focus more on the data than on what the insights we can draw from the data. And I think data has become has overtaken again the purpose of why data is is necessary in the first place. I keep telling people that it's important to read between the numbers uh, of your quant data, just as you have to read between the lines of your qual qual reports. You know, you got to if you don't read between the lines, I, I don't think. Uh, you're making the best use of the, any any qualitative research, and if you don't read between the numbers, what are these numbers actually telling us? And I think more data just definitely does not mean better decisions, and that's again something we seem to have got into that trap of saying the more we know, the better our decisions are. Not necessarily. I think sometimes that unknown is actually what drives some of those decisions, especially creative, strategic marketing, and. Again, people look at strategy as a very clinical uh, discipline, but I keep my, my my view of life is that if a strategy is not creative, it's not going to create a differentiation in the marketplace because everybody has access to the same data, everybody analyzes it the same way, everybody draws the same conclusions, everybody has the same strategy, everybody will have the same share of profit. On the other hand, if you're creative for marketers, it's not strategic. It's not going to create a lasting impact. 
it would, it's very creative. It will create a short-term impact, but it cannot create a durable, long-time impact. So just as strategy needs to be creative, your use of data needs to be creative. And I think people have forgotten that. And we are going to be dependent more and more on artificial intelligence and what it can do to us in terms of you know, providing us with insights. And I think that human element in terms of being creative, lateral in our thinking, we might lose that more and more. And equally, there is probably a pushback now in, in boards. Uh, I think people are saying, let's not have more data than we need to have because potentially it could lead to a cyber attacks, ransom demands, uh, and therefore have less data rather than more data. Two years, three years ago, big data was the big buzzword. Today, it's AI. Tomorrow, it could be something else. But the thing is, we have to be, therefore, balanced in terms of what you do. You know, don't have more data than what you need. Uh, but use the data that you already have uh, more efficiently. Yeah, I think it's uh, when people think about AI as our future overlords, I, I worry that, you know, it, it is, after all, a tool. The thing we need to do is to actually define how that we want those tools used. One of the great things that it could be doing is turning all of that data into usable and and uh, 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 addressable uh, pieces of information, you know, yeah, that sort of yeah. hierarchy of uh, data, information, knowledge, wisdom, you know, to mm. actually get to that uh, that human level of turning knowledge into wisdom. We can all be incredibly knowledgeable, but what does it take exactly. to actually turn exactly. knowledge into creating, as you say, a vision mm. that's never been seen before? And, and this view of AI being the juggernaut, I mean, sometimes we might, I think we're forgetting that the human brain has created AI. You seem yeah. to have lost sight of that. <laughs> well, and, and that's one of the concerns. Uh, you know, people are saying, well, the human mind could easily have built biases into the algorithm. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a totally, uh, totally uh, separate. That's a, a topic for another day, Darren. Yeah. Trinity P3. Uh, I'm interested because if I remember rightly, you're a big fan of Blue Ocean Strategy when that came out, and that's a number of years ago, but which in essence was about not going where everyone else is, but Correct. actually working hard to find that blue ocean. Don't go into the red ocean where there's blood in the water because you just end up competing with everyone else. In a way, what I heard when you you were saying that is creativity, being creative, being innovative thinking differently from the marketplace is that opportunity to open those blue ocean uh, opportunities, isn't it? I, I, I think it is. I mean, my view of blue ocean is probably, in hindsight, to talk about blue ocean or some, you know, yeah. of something somebody has done is easy, but to actually come up with it uh, yes. is it, not as easy. It's, it's probably a lot more difficult. But... At one level, there is a lot of similarity between products and services nowadays. There's not much to choose. Even between an iPhone and a, and a Samsung, um, there's really not much to choose between in terms of the actual benefits and features of the product. I think on the flip side, and this may again be a slightly unpopular view, we as marketers seem to be more obsessed with differentiation than with relevance 
As a result, we are creating differentiators that really don't mean much to the consumer. We want to add that one extra bell and whistle to our product or say something which, which really doesn't do much to the functionality of the product or the benefits of the product. And we've forgotten about relevance. And even if something is not relevant, we try to sort of latch it on to our products and services and present to the consumer saying, oh, this is a brand new or whatever. It's not because at the end of the day, consumer is looking for how does this product perform? Is it doing the job that it's meant to, meant to do for me? If it doesn't, then it's of no use. I mean, you might think that that's the latest and the best uh, feature that you can put onto your product. So I think somewhere differentiation for the sake of being different is not going to work. But if you're truly differentiated, which is not going to be easy in today's world because everybody has access to all the technology, you know, all, all the resources. Uh, but don't lose your relevance in terms of why people buy your product or service. You know? and, and the bottom line of marketing is people should perceive enough value in a product or service that's more than the value they attach, the money they're willing to part with. And, and that is something, again, we seem to be sort of overlooking because what's the value to that? That's why I keep telling my students the best form of marketing ever. And they ask me, what, what is your example of the best form of marketing? And I tell them, it's barter. And they said, why barter? I said, look, the seller and the buyer both realize the value of what they're parting with and what they're getting. Whereas today, I don't think the seller is wanting to drop the price, you know, um, and, and get the consumer, whatever. And marketers also seem to think that dropping the price is probably the best route to uh, increase revenue, but it's not to increase profit. So uh, we can talk about it forever. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it's interesting because recently I shared on LinkedIn, they were talking about um, uh, tactics and strategy, and someone was uh, talking about how the problem for marketers is that so many tactics actually are things like price off. You know, I don't know if you've noticed, if you've even seen an online display ad, but you'll suddenly get some brand offering a product that you've never heard of the brand, but the product is already 50% off. And you say, I find myself saying, yes, 50% off what? You know, that, that as a salesperson, that's really poor sales. And, mm-hmm. and what I differentiated on LinkedIn was this idea that the role of marketing is actually to drive margin, right? But the role of sales is to then capitalise on volume and that Mm -hmm. way you're profitable. But when the two have become so closely intertwined to each other, what we're seeing is marketing will often end up resorting on some sort of price off Mm. to drive volume, which is just sacrificing margin and profit. And that we need to keep those two very clearly differentiated. I'm not saying that it means Mm. that they have to operate physically separately, and they often still do, but that you need to have both. You need to be able to have a a strategy that maintains the value of that in the consumer's mind and sales to then create opportunities for the consumer to buy. And I actually give my students a very simple example in class. I tell them, okay, this product costs $100 to the consumer and it costs $70 for you to produce. So uh, you've got a $30 profit. And too say, small. 
Sorry? <laughs> too small. small. Their margin's <laughs> way too small. Way too small. So <laughs> then I tell them, okay, you drop the price by $10. So it becomes $90. And now your profit is $20. Now, marketers often tend to be very happy. Okay, we dropped the price by 10% and we got a 15% increase in, in the number of units. So increase in revenue. And we pat ourselves on the back. But what we don't realize is that the profit has dropped from $30 to $20, which is a one-third drop in your profits. So you need to have at least a one-third increase in, in sales for you to be able to make the same amount of profit that you were making before. And okay, fine, with increased volume, you might have some savings and costs, economies of scale or whatever. And you drop that, uh, you, you might have a slightly more savings. The cost maybe instead of $70 or $68. And do, once you get that concept, then I think salespeople and marketing people will both realize that it is ultimately you can't bank your revenue. You can only bank your profit because that's the money left after you've met all your costs. Once they understand that, I think they will be less inclined to offer price-off deals. But we seem to be so fixated on growing our revenue, the top line, uh, that we sort of completely forget the effect of it on, on the bottom line. And uh, you've got to manage your costs, yes. You've got to grow your revenue, yes. But you've got to sort of maintain the profit. Otherwise, why, why are you a marketer if you can't sort of sustainably, profitably, uh, you know, grow, your, yeah. grow the business? But that, And then there's uh, marketers will say, well, we're only offering the discount to grow market share. The trouble mm. is you're doing it, but you're also training the customer that the new price is... 10% yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's is. the other thing is because, you know, consumers are very, they're a lot smarter than a lot of people think because, after all, we're all consumers. We're all buying <laughs> things. And if you start seeing a brand offering discounts, even if it's not all the time, you know, but you start, if it's not a, a, a purchase that has to be time sensitive, You'll just wait until it's on sale. Exactly. And, and I do that all the time. At, yeah. And you'll buy it at that price. Yeah. That was one of the things that you had to admire about Aesop that's just been sold, the, the skincare and, and um, product out of Melbourne that was sold um, to, to L'Oreal. Yeah, L'Oreal. Yeah. Right. Is that they were never on special. They were never discounted. Mm. That the price was the price. So it meant that no consumer was sitting there waiting for it to come on special so that they then stock up for the whole year. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Now, I mean, that's, that, that's marketing that actually is, is built a, a premium margin and then maintained it, which is why the business is so desirable and why it, it's been sold twice now since foundation and each time at bigger and bigger multiples. I know we sort of sort of digressed into a lot of things, you know, starting with strategy. But I, I often ask marketers in terms of the, you know, we tend to talk in terms of brand awareness, brand preference, you know, all these uh, metrics, which which which. Are good. But we've got to talk about what does it do to the business. You know, mm -hmm. what what is your brand delivering to the business? And I said either your brand has to deliver increased volume at the same price or it has to deliver the same volume at an increased price. If your brand power is not helping you to do either, then I don't think you really have a brand. You know? Yeah, that's right. And people find that really, really challenging. Oh, what do you mean by that? I said, yeah, you can prove that this is the premium that your product is attracting as a result of your brand building that you've done over the years. And if you can't demonstrate that, then don't talk about branding. 
Exactly. I mean, they do talk about brand preference, but rarely in the concept yeah. of margin or price maintenance. Yeah, what's it doing to, to your business? And, and, and we, we, it's good to know about what the brand is doing for the consumer, but equally think in terms of what is the brand doing to the business? What's the va- value add to the business, not just to the consumer? You yes. need to think about Mahesh, this is uh, unfortunately we've run out of time. time? Oh, sorry. (laughs) It's been a terrific conversation, as it always is. I mean, you know, you and I have spoken uh, since since the last podcast that we did together, and every conversation I have with you, I find thought provoking and uh, and refreshing in many ways because of that ability to to bring us back to, in some ways, first principles, and then show Mm. how to build out on that to actually achieve the results that people want to achieve. So I thank you for taking the time. Thank you, Darren. I mean, I enjoyed it too. It's good to always chat to you. (laughs) Look, um, before you go, uh, I just, I do have a final question. And that is, where do you think we went wrong with, you know, perhaps in training marketers where there is so many struggles these days around strategy? (laughs) 